leftovers, or the DMV, or house cleaning, or Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. We're prohibited by law. T plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details. From the era that brought you names like Chamberlain, Russell, and West. To Chamberlain, he's got it! Jerry West made it from the other side of the mid-court strike! To the glory days of Magic and Kareem. Abdul-Jabbar is on the brink of an NBA all-time record. From a time where last-second shots were expected. Here comes Kobe. From way outside. Got it! Oh, man! Gets it to LeBron. For three for the win! Yes! LeBron James! And rings were handed out like candy. Here's Jordan! It's Duncan Dynasty with your host, Garrett Bougay, and it starts right now. Welcome to another episode of Duncan Dynasty. I'm your host, Garrett Bougay, and with me this week, I've got a very special guest. He's a fellow SBC alum. It's his second time on the program, also a, a big-time Atlanta Hawks fan, Ryan Edwards. Ryan, thanks so much for, for coming on. Yeah, no worries. Thanks for having me back. Congratulations are in order. As, uh, since the last time you've been on here, I believe you've become a, an Australian citizen, isn't that correct? Um, permanent resident. Permanent, permanent resident, yeah. Yeah, which, which is still a pretty big deal. So I can uh, stay, stay for the rest of my life if I want to, so yeah, very... Very big news for me. Yeah, that is uh, that's really exciting. I, I saw that on on Facebook, and uh, yeah, I was really happy about that. But uh, yeah, congratulations yeah. on that. And uh, yeah, with uh, with the season getting underway here, I, I knew you were. I know you are a big Hawks fan, and, and this was one of the teams after their off season that I was most excited to watch. So uh, I I knew I had to get you on here really early, and we're we're seven games into the season at this point. The Hawks are sitting at four and three, and uh, we're going to kind of go blow by blow through uh, all their games so far. But before we we do that, Ryan, it seemingly you know the team is is has been kind of banged up. A lot of their new acquisitions, the the guys like uh, Danilo Gallinari and Rajon Rondo, they've They've each only played two of the seven games. Uh, their their rookie draft pick, uh, the number six overall, and Yeka Kangu has yet to play. But seemingly, you know, sitting at four and three, it seems like it's kind of disappointing based on how well they've looked. Yeah, it has been very disappointing, especially over the last two games, especially, but really the last four. Um, we, we just are really lacking scoring in the second unit at the moment with those the guys that you mentioned are out and Danilo's really only played one game he got hurt about like four minutes into that Nets game right so 
it's it's been rough going to the second unit so far, but hopefully, hopefully once those guys start coming back, we'll get a bit more production and maybe Bogdanovich will show back up. He's been a bit of a struggle of late. Yeah, that, uh, speaking of uh, of Gallo, yeah, the the one the one game you referenced that he he basically did get to play or play throughout uh, was that uh, opening night game, the Hawks versus the Bulls. Atlanta ends up winning that one, one twenty four to one oh four, and uh, the Hawks put up eighty three in the uh, the opening half of that game. I was obviously uh, yeah, I was I was very optimistic about. What uh, what this team could be offensively, and they certainly showed that in that uh, in that opening game. Yeah, and it was even uglier than the score indicated. They they stopped playing their starters about the end of the third quarter, maybe before that. It was a 40, 50 point game going into the fourth quarter. Yeah, it uh, it it was over early, and uh, yeah, they uh, the Bulls had no answers. And speaking of Gallinari, one of the things that I noticed pretty pretty much right off the bat was that young Gallo pick and pop was was uh, was clicking on all cylinders uh, that's just such a such a difficult play to stop because Gallo obviously the the really good threat from from three but then you've also got to give Trey Young a, a ton of attention and he's really good at at uh, at making that pass on time and on target and we haven't really seen much of Gallo since that game but in in that one game of action it, it seemed like he he is a, a pretty decent fit with this team on the offensive end. Oh, yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm incredibly excited about it. It's nice to have another weapon. When that pick and pop, as you said, not only can he shoot it, but if you get it to him quick and defense collapses on him, he's capable. He's a very capable passer to make another move, to move the ball quickly, get an open lamp on a backdoor cut, and maybe swing it to the corner for an open three. It's, it's just really exciting to watch, especially after the last few seasons. It's just been... Uh, Trey Young and not really anyone that's capable of creating offense for themselves. So it's a, it was a very nice change of pace watching those two operate together. Yeah, and you mentioned some of the second unit struggles, especially in the last couple of games. And I think with Gallo there, he he will help that uh, quite a bit and, and prevent them from from having those those droughts that they they've gone on. But uh, Gallo in that opening game had uh, 13 points in just 24 minutes, four or six from the field. Four of four from the free throw line. Trey Young had 37 in that one on five of six from three, and uh, uh, some some pretty gouty. As you mentioned, it was a blowout after three quarters. Some some pretty gouty numbers as far as the plus minus. DeAndre Hunter was plus 40 in uh, in just 26 minutes. I think that was a Atlanta Hawks all time high as well. Yeah, <laughs> I think Trey Young was over 100 percent true shooting. I know, it was a thing that could happen, but it apparently is. Yeah, he uh, he got to the line quite a bit in that game, as I mentioned, uh, hitting it from three. Uh, yeah, that's uh, that's that's tough to do. That's tough to pull off. But uh, yeah, so Atlanta getting off to that one and zero start. Game number two, the the Hawks took on the Memphis Grizzlies and ended up winning that one, one twenty two to one twelve, uh, and. What was what was interesting about that game is the starters kind of struggled in the opening quarter, but then uh, Kevin Herter, a guy that's uh, coming into his third year now, uh, you know, came in as mostly a shooter, but they've they've uh, worked on having him get experience on the ball. He came in in that second unit, hit uh, hit some hit some little right-handed push shots out of the pick and roll. He's gotten really good at, and I've noticed a lot of the Hawks. They must have been teaching this, or this was kind of a 
a point of emphasis for them in the offseason was in that pick-and-roll game, getting that defender on your back, uh, getting uh, being patient and getting into that mid-range area and then going from there. Yeah, it's the uh, page one of the Trae Young playbook right there. Right. But, um, also for Hawks fans, I think that game's going to forever be known as the Nathan Knight game. The uh, new two-way undrafted rookie came in there and just couldn't miss a shot somehow. I, I don't remember exactly, but it was something like 13 points in like six or seven minutes. It was absurd. But, yeah, as far as Kevin Herter, I think going to the bench is really, really going to help him. Last year, the last his first two years in the league he's really been relied upon as like a secondary claymaker which he might be capable of in the future but I think it's a bit early for him he's a a good passer he reads the game well but he's not he's not quite there yet I think he really flourishes as like a third option and even when he's on the bench you wouldn't think he'd be a third option but when the Hawks are healthy you could have Gallinari and Bogdanovich being the primary creators and he can just be back there causing havoc with the ball as they're getting the attention away from him yeah, you, you, you bring up a good point about, you know, Herter not that great of a passer. And, and frankly, that's one of the things that, uh, you know, despite their offense being uh, so far through seven games, they're a top five offense in the NBA. They, they've been terrific. Uh, but one of the things that maybe is lacking outside of Trey Young is, you know, there, there's not a ton of passing with the rest of the roster. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so you see a lot of guys handling it uh, like a Herter, like a Bogdanovich with that second unit, even Cam Reddish, uh, DeAndre Hunter. When those guys are operating in the pick and roll, typically it's uh, it's those guys looking for their own shot. Yeah, that's true. At least the passing is better than last year, I will say that. <laughs> yeah. Last, last year was, was rough. We didn't really have many NBA players, but Bogdanovich, we haven't really seen seen it yet, but with the Kings, he was very capable of running an offense, and I'm hoping Lloyd Pierce will look to that a bit more in the second unit than he has. And Gallinari, obviously, great passer, and of course, Rondo, when he starts playing, it will hopefully solve that issue that you mentioned. Yeah, and uh, Lloyd Pierce is even, uh, you know, he's gone with uh, Goodwin at times at at the uh, backup point guard, and that's partially because guys like Rondo and Chris Dunn have been out, and uh, but but I've been a little bit surprised that when when Goodwin and Herter and and even Bogdanovich are all on the floor together with the four or five man bench units that yeah Bogdanovich is a lot of times just off the ball yeah I, I think uh, yeah Pierce should should do more to get it in his hands but uh, you you mentioned Nathan Knight earlier and yeah watching that game it was amazing it, he seemingly didn't look like a two way on that night and. He's just a terrific athlete. He had a couple of uh, real highlight-level plays, uh, getting off his feet and throwing one down. And uh, yeah, he, he looks like a guy that you know, if he's your if he's your eleventh or twelfth man on your bench, you could do a lot worse. Yeah, well, in that one game it definitely looked like it. It's uh, it's hard to say if it was a fluke or not because he literally hasn't gotten another chance since he did that. He had like one minute in garbage time the other day, but that's about it. So I'm, it'll definitely be an anomaly, but. He looks, he looks fun for a two-way guy, so you never know. Maybe maybe he'll do it again sometime this season. Yeah, um, Bogdanovich that game went uh, started the game 0 of 7 from 3, and Lloyd Pierce chose to not start him in the second half, and, and actually he, he has been coming off the bench ever since. But, uh, yeah, what, what were your thoughts on that? Were you surprised Pierce took him out of that starting lineup, and are you surprised that he's continued to... to to uh, bring him off the bench after the Hawks gave him that four-year, $73 million deal. 
Yeah, I was a little surprised, but I thought it made sense for him to be off the bench. As I've mentioned before, if he can run the offense in the second unit or secondary playmaker when Rondo's healthy. But that's not even the role that he has, so that's what surprised me most. Not really that he's coming off the bench, just that, he, like you, as you mentioned, he's more just been like a spot-up three-point threat so far that they look to when they need a three. And he hasn't, he hasn't really had much more of an impact on the offense, which has been pretty disappointing. Yeah, um, another guy that I was, uh, you know, he, he's had some he's had some good moments, and, and certainly he shot the ball well. But a guy that I was disappointed with watching that Grizzlies game was was uh, was Cam Reddish. Uh, he at times is uh, is a bit frustrating because he he doesn't seem to trust his first step, and he's rarely you know he's rarely beating guys off the dribble significantly with that first or second step, and. You'll you'll see him often catch it and, and do that crossover or that quick jab step to the side and, and try to get that defender off balance right off the catch as opposed to you know believing in his explosion uh, and and that is a that is a bit of an issue for for him and uh, as as a guy that uh, you know is is a perimeter oriented player. And if he, he doesn't have that quick first step, if, if that never comes around, he's going to have to figure out a way to be a little bit more crafty. Yeah, I, I would have to agree with that. He, he's a bit of a frustrating player. Sometimes you watch him as a Hawks fan, and you're just like, oh my gosh, we just drafted the next Paul George, you know? Yeah. And then other times, you're just like, how is this guy in the league? What's he, <laughs> what's he doing? He doesn't, he doesn't look like he's got a clue. But when you're right, he, he needs to be more aggressive because when he is, he... he it's like extremely, he does extremely well. He was a terrible finisher in college, but it looks like he's improved that a bit. He doesn't seem to have the confidence to do it consistently. But when he, when he's like in a groove, he looks like a legitimate prospect who, who has some great potential, especially on the defensive end as well. Yeah. Uh, another, another way I think players can, can uh, create that separation if they don't have that quick first step is by working on their deceleration. You know, I think uh, Kyrie Irving is a guy, and obviously James Harden, Luka Doncic, uh, those guys are really good at, uh, you know, if the guy is right on your hip, being able to take a couple of elongated steps and let them kind of fly by. And with Reddish, with his size and his touch, I think that would, would do him some good. But, uh, yeah, I, I'm right there with you. He, he seemingly is kind of a, a hit or miss, and we'll get to the, the most recent game, the the, uh, the game against the Knicks, but down the stretch he was, he was quite disappointing there. But um, as far as someone I've been, been really pleased with from, from what I've seen is uh, DeAndre Hunter. He has looked, you know, so, so confident this season. He, uh, he had in that Grizzlies game a beautiful right-to-left spin finish. Uh, he's been really confident shooting the, uh, the three-point shot. His defense looks uh, as good as ever with that uh, 7-4 wingspan, pretty decent lateral quickness. And, uh, you know, he's, uh, he's improving as a rebounder as well. Yeah, DeAndre Hunter has surprised me, but honestly, I was uh, not too excited about his future after his rookie season, like, I still figured he'd be a solid player, but he looks like he could even be, like, more, he could be, like, an above-average starter, potentially, which I didn't really see after his first year. Um, he he looks a lot more comfortable attacking the rim and finishing, which he didn't really show much in the past. Yeah. Especially attacking off his right hand towards the right side. He's, he's made some really tough finishes, high off the glass that have dropped, that he just sit there and be like, was that, was that really DeAndre Hunter? I thought he was just a 3-and-D guy. 
He's, yeah, so that, that's has excited. He's even guarded effectively point guards, including Kyrie Irving. He's, he did a great job. That's jumping ahead of it, but he did, a, he did a great job, especially in the second game. He was tasked to guard him in the starting lineup, and he's, he was able to stay in front of him for the most part. Yeah, I've noticed uh, similar to, to Lou Williams, DeAndre Hunter has this thing where, yeah, when he drives left, it's typically to, to pull up for a jumper. And when he drives right, he's typically going all the way to the rim. And, yeah, I've noticed that, too. He's he's gotten a lot better at those sort of elongated finishes. And, again, using his length on both ends of the floor uh, has, has been really nice to see. Uh, yeah, he's been he's been very very impressive. A guy I was really high on out of the draft, but yeah, he was he was pretty disappointing as a rookie. But I, I mentioned this on my pod last week, uh, basically that you know we we need to stop evaluating these guys after their rookie year because uh, you know we we see these crazy jumps from year one to year two with with a lot of players. Yeah, you never know. Sometimes potential superstars don't even play the first year, like Jimmy Butler. So. It's- it's definitely too early to call after one year. Yeah. Um, another thing that you know, uh, obviously one of the one of the the joys of watching this team is watching Trey Young. And I mentioned in that that opening night win, he was five of six from three. In this game against Memphis, he wasn't knocking down the the three ball as much, but uh, he has turned into this uh, really great all around offensive player that you know figures out a way to be effective no matter if his shot is going or not, and He's largely done that through getting into the paint. He's he's become very consistent with that little floater, uh, five to ten foot range, and then also he's uh, just so good at drawing fouls. He uh, he had he had thirteen points in the fourth quarter of that win against the Grizz. Yeah, that's what's really taken his game to the next level, in my opinion. It's not really fun for everyone to watch, but he, he's become an expert at drawing fouls. I know through the first three games, the, the Hawks commentators love to say it, that he was leading the league in fouls drawn, including having more fouls drawn than the entire Toronto Raptors. They threw that out about like 10 times. <laughs> yeah. he, it's been well documented with the, uh, his new signature move. He did it a bit last year, but he's definitely getting more attention now. The uh, pick and roll, get the guy in your back, slow down so they run into your back, and then uh, pull up for the jump shot to get the free foul shots. Been well done. It's a good move, and there's not really a way to stop it. Refs, I've noticed that's in the last couple of games they're starting to call it on the floor, which is probably fair enough. But yeah, just his ability to draw fouls has really taken it to the games in their level. Because what do you do? Do you come up and contest it, risk getting a foul, or do you stay back? You can do a lob right over your head. There's no way to really stop him once he gets to the paint. Yeah, uh, he he also had a terrific highlight in that game where he did a fake behind the back pass and then uh, did a, a between the legs dribble and finished. He's uh, he's got one or two terrific highlights just about every night. Yeah, he's got he's got a deep bag. Yes, he does. Uh, so the Hawks uh, end up going three and zero with a one twenty eight one twenty win over the Detroit Pistons. And in this game, notably, Clint Capella and Rajon Rondo made their season debuts. What were your thoughts on, on those two and how they looked? Well, especially Rondo, that, that was a great performance. That's really the only game we've gotten to see too much of him so far, but he looked fantastic. I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but I know he had double-digit assists and not many minutes played. He, that's what the Hawks fans have been looking for since we drafted Trey Young. When he goes out of the game, who's... Who's going to create any offense? And at least for that one game, 
that he was the clear answer. He, he was just setting up guys. It looked like playoff Rondo for one game for the Hawks. Yes, he did. He was uh, was hitting his outside jumper, which he's you know slowly but surely improved over the years. And uh, yeah, you know it's I mentioned that maybe one of the things that this offense lacks a little bit uh, outside of Trey Young is the you know is passing. But I, I suppose that's mainly I, I mainly feel that way because Rondo has missed most of the season. I uh, you know when when he's out there or when you just have one. Of, uh, of younger Rondo on the floor at all times, I think they're going to be fine as far as uh, passing creativity is concerned. But but I, I agree with you. He looked he looked terrific. And, uh, yeah, Clint Capella as well, you know, he's a guy that they brought in at the trade deadline last season. He didn't get to play at all um, until this year. And, uh, you know, I, I think the, the big aspect of what they're hoping to get out of him is to – you know, they were 28th in defensive rating last season. They're hoping, obviously, to improve on that. And if they can get into the range of even being like the 20th best defense with how good this offense is, uh, that's going to uh, give the give Atlanta a decent chance of getting into the, the Eastern Conference playoffs. Yeah, and it, it was really exciting to see a legitimate starting center out there for the Hawks. And that's even undercrediting Clint. I think he's, he's well above an average starter, in my opinion. Um just, just the ability to rebound the ball helped tremendously. We've struggled with that in the past. And his defense at the rim with Trey, Trey, he's trying harder on defense this year, but he gets blown by a lot. And just to have that extra person there to contest more shots, obviously he's not going to get to everything, but you can. it's already made a difference. Our defense has improved. I think we're up to, before the game today, I think we were about 17th, which is the goal you just said right there, which would, would be passable, which should hopefully be enough to get us in the playoffs with how good the offense is. He's made a major impact just just having that big to be there to help to back up Trey and to cut off Trey to the play. Yeah, he he's been he's been decent on the offensive end as well. You know, I noticed in this game that uh, that Young and Capella were were starting to develop that chemistry that you'd like to see from them. They they scored on a couple plays, one with Young getting uh, getting doubled and. Uh, finding Capella on the short roll, and then also uh, he threw the lob up to Capella off a botched switch by the Pistons. But, you know, Young and, and this Hawks offense having multiple pick-and-roll options, you know, to attack maybe a weak link defensively where you can run a, a Young Capella pick-and-roll or a Young Collins pick-and-roll, and, and both of those guys being lob threats makes it really difficult to to for for the opposition to put a, a weaker big defender out there on the floor. Yeah, and, and having the ball on the floor, I think it's actually helped John Collins. And there was a lot of uh, off-season buzz, like how are they going to fit together, how are they going to fit together. But John Collins' entire career in the NBA so far, he's been next to his center, just not a very good one, Alex Lynn or Damian Jones. And that allows him to not be the one, to not be the primary target of the opposing team's big box outs. So he gets some more freedom to crash the lane late getting more offensive rebounds for himself. And two, having the extra lob threat the defense is unsure of, like, if they're both near the area, they're like, both near the Marin, they don't know who Trey's going to throw that lob to. John's just looked a lot more comfortable ever since Clint Pellis been inserted in the lineup. He was a bit shaky in those first two games. He's kind of wondering, this is the guy that was demanding a max in the offseason? He, he just didn't look it, but he's, he's woken up a, a bit since Clint has entered the team. Yeah, and with the two of them out there, the Hawks have become a, a pretty darn good offensive rebounding team as well. Um, 
but uh, yeah, the Collins. It, it's interesting, you know, because the the big the big concern about him is the the defensive end of the the court, obviously, and you know, is he quick enough to defend fours, or is he big enough or good enough as a rim protector to to play at the five? And we saw in moments in this game, you know, and and. Pierce has uh, occasionally thrown out uh, Bruno Fernando for backup center minutes, but uh, he's often gone with Collins as that backup center. And offensively, that's great, but at times, uh, you know, he, he's just going to struggle. And the Pistons were able to get some pretty easy looks around the rim with, with Collins as the only guy out there. Yeah, they for sure did. But I, I do think it's a bit overspoken his defensive struggles. He's definitely not a plus defender, but I've seen people calling him one of the worst defenders in the league. That's a that's a bit of a stretch. He, he can struggle to guard fours, especially on the perimeter, but the Hawks are so flexible now with their line of having Gallinari, they can slide Hunter down, that just game by game, you can just change who's there. So he, he shouldn't have to do that too often. So hopefully the, the pair of Capella and Collins should continue to look passable, almost passable on the defensive end, which is what the Hawks are looking for. Yeah, um... I agree. I don't think Collins is terrible. He uh, he certainly tries, and he to me he just seems like he's uh, he's a bit late on his rotations. A lot of times, he's just a half step behind the play. He will leave open a lot of rebounds, which that does happen a lot when he's especially when he's at center. He'll be chilling, he'll chase down the first shot, and then uh, there's no one there. Yeah, he. Um... Oftentimes on weak side, he'll be he'll be really close to, to being able to pull off the verticality, but uh, just because he's a step out of position, he has to jump sideways or forward a little bit. But but yeah, it's uh, it'll be interesting to see how how that uh, that duo uh, progresses defensively, and and obviously these guys are all new to playing with each other, so you you would imagine that they'll get better uh, with their communication over time, but. Uh, yeah, you know, as far as you mentioned that Bogdanovich has largely struggled through this season, but he did have a terrific third quarter in that game against the Pistons. I believe he hit three triples, and, and Rondo hit another couple in a, in a big run that kind of uh, ended up winning the game for the Hawks. But, uh, you know, he's he's a guy that uh, has been a little bit streaky. He's had moments, I mentioned, uh, where he went 0 for 7, but then he has other moments where he can – he can get hot, and uh, you know there there are a few hawks that that that, that it feels like they're uh, they're kind of hit or miss at times. Yeah, that's what's going to happen with with a lot of the younger guys. Bogdanovich isn't quite as young, but he hasn't been in the league too long. But you would like to see him be a bit more consistent, especially for a guy that uh, was very highly regarded in free agency, wanted by the top teams, and we all saw the Milwaukee fiasco, but. Yeah, you, you, you would expect a bit more from him, but that was really nice to see in the third quarter. When he gets hot, he gets hot. He did it in uh, one of the Nets games as well. He's, it doesn't look like he's going to ever miss. Yeah, and he uh, he obviously is he's never going to be shy. He's going to constantly put up those threes. Um, moving forward to, to the next game, uh, we had a couple of games against the, the Brooklyn Nets. The first one was uh, one of the best games of the season so far, with the Nets winning at 145 to. 141. You mentioned Gallo uh, was was playing, but uh, ended up getting a right ankle sprain pretty early on on kind of an awkward looking play. But apparently he's going to be out a few weeks. But uh, you know the Hawks and and Pierce again playing some lineups with especially when Gallo is available. We saw for a few minutes there a lineup with 
with no Capella, Fernando, or uh, John Collins on the floor. And it looked pretty good, too. Yeah. <laughs> I was digging around. Gallinari was looking very impressive. He was 2-for-2 two two on two, like, weird-looking jumpers where he didn't really jump, and he had a gap in his face, but he was acting like he was just in the YMCA by himself, just drained it. It was, it was, it was, it was looking good. It was a real shame when he went down. Yeah, hopefully he comes back, and you know that's been one of the issues for him throughout his career is not being available. But uh, he was healthy for most of last year, so hopefully after these first couple issues he's dealt with, he can stay healthy for for the rest of the season. But uh, one of the one of the fun things I uh, heard about in the the broadcast, I was listening to the to the Nets broadcast duo of uh, Ian Eagle and Sarah Kustak, but they mentioned that uh, Steve Nash and, and Lloyd Pierce, the, the head coaches for both teams, actually were uh, were old teammates at Santa Clara University. Yeah, they were uh, they're good friends, apparently, which is a pretty small world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that had been weird for them to be going up against each other's head coaches in the NBA. Yeah, um, Nash, a guy that I've always been pretty high on as far as he, he seems to be a, an intelligent guy. I think he's going to be pretty successful. What have, what have you been your thoughts in general? This is uh, the third year for Pierce, but uh, you know, obviously the last couple of years there's been some, some roster issues, which probably no coach could, uh, could fix completely. But uh, what, what have you felt about uh, his performance thus far? I don't think fans were able to really grasp that the front office wasn't trying to win the last two years. His primary objective was for players to progress, to improve, and I think he's done a great job with that. I don't think there's one player on the roster, a young guy, high draft pick, that you can really look at and say he hasn't gotten better each year so far. Trey Young obviously has exploded his second year, and he still looks maybe even better this year. Cam Reddish. He's uh, still lacking a bit of confidence, but he, his three-point shot looks more comfortable. He, when he does attack the rim, he, he looks improved, finishing. DeAndre Hunter, as we mentioned, has looked significantly better. Kevin Herter, he's having his best three-point shooting season so far, and he's, he's looked a bit better reading, picking rolls, and just finishing around the rim as well. So, And John Collins, obviously, when he got to play last year, was killing it borderline all-star level. So, Lloyd Pierce... As far as actual game management goes, Jerry's still out because I feel like it's unfair to judge him in a bunch of games that it wasn't necessarily going all out to win. But as far as what he's been told to do, I think he's done a fantastic job. But so far this season, it can be a bit frustrating with his uh, lineups, late in games, substitution, timeouts. But so far, I, I still have a stamp of approval for Lopez. Yeah, I was I was a bit frustrated with his, uh, you know, and I, I think a lot of coaches will will do this. There was uh, the they the the Hawks were down three with thirty two point two seconds left, and he calls timeout uh, one of his final two. And in that situation, you know, you've either you have to get the two for one then if you're going to call timeout to advance the ball. But the Hawks don't, they don't get a two for one and they don't really get a particularly good look. It didn't seem like that interesting or complicated of a set that he drew up. Uh, but, but, and then, you know, later in the game, uh, it, it came back to bite him because they needed that timeout to advance it. So 
there, there's stuff like that, which again, he's not, he's certainly not the only coach to make that mistake, but uh, that was something I was frustrated by a bit. Yeah. And at the end of that game, they, they just let the nets when we should have fouled immediately. Jared Allen, I believe, or Jordan won the centers. I think it was Jared Allen. He got a rebound with about 20 seconds left and he stood there with it for a good two seconds and no one fouled him with it. Then we started trying to foul it as soon as he passed and no one fouled anybody and they got a dunk and that was pretty much game. So that, the late stuff has, has been frustrating to watch in the few close games they've had. I will give you that. The, the, the one bright spot in that, and one of the guys that was really keeping him in that game was uh, was John Collins. He ended up with 30 points and 10 rebounds in that one. But, I mean, that's that's part of the reason why, especially if, once this team gets to full strength, why this team's just going to be so tough to stop is obviously we, we've already brought up uh, Trey Young's ability to score in, in a bunch of different areas and and then you've got all of these shooters around him, and then you've got a guy like John Collins who can space the floor, but then also uh, can can fly in for some lobs. And he had an incredible right hand slam in that one as well. Uh, but uh, yeah, he was he was a bright spot for the Hawks in that loss. Yeah, I think that that was the fourth game of the year, and I think that was the first. He hit his first couple threes of the season in that game, which really, really once you have to go out to him on the three point line, like you can't just hang hang off. Once, once he starts making those threes, he becomes incredibly hard to guard. Because you take your eye off him, he's just going. He's going straight to the rim, get a board, go for the lob, really open up the game. And he's obviously a fantastic finisher at the rim. But one thing I do want to mention about the, both the Nets games, but particularly that first one, is just how great of a job on defense the two young, the two young wings and Cam Reddish and DeAndre Hunter did in the in the starting lineup with. They had DeAndre Hunter guarding Carrier for a lot of the game, and Cam on Cam Durant, who was, he was able to force a few a few turnovers on drive, which was impressive. Um, they're Kevin Durant and Carrier, so you look at the stat line at the end of the game, you're like, oh wow, they had 30 points each. But for the first three quarters, especially, they both exploded in the fourth. But the first three quarters, they were they, they looked a bit frustrated with trying to get shots, and they were doing a really good job of, of guarding them for them being second-year players going against two of the best players in the league. Absolutely, yeah. There was there was one play in particular. Kyrie was in the right corner and, and tried a left-hand drive, and, and Hunter slid over and completely cut him off. And you just, you know, I, I uh, had to rewind it just to see because I'm like, yeah, you, you rarely see Kyrie not get even like a half-step past his guy on one of those drives. But, uh, yeah, the, they've, they've both been good, especially Hunter in my mind. Uh, has been really impressive. He had a in in one of those games. There was a drive where uh, Joe Harris went in and and then tried to pull up from ten feet, and Hunter stuck his left arm out, and Harris uh, just had no chance of getting the shot up. He ended up passing it off, and they they ended up getting getting a layup out of it. But it was another play where you're like, oh wow, yeah, this guy is very long. Yeah, he, he's looked incredibly impressive. I I knew he'd be a, a good defender, but I, I didn't think he had the he had, I knew he had the length, but I didn't think he'd have the quickness to be able to cut off guards, especially like like you mentioned, like Kyrie, like that. So that that was extremely impressive to watch. That unlocks a whole other level to his game if he can do that on a consistent basis. Yeah, and uh, he um, in that uh, in that second Brooklyn game, Hunter was uh, was getting some more. Uh, yeah, he he was great. He he uh, was getting more opportunities. Uh, to, to run the pick and roll. He had a nice little hesitation dribble, you know, when the, you've got the two-on-two situation and the uh, 
the the big is trying to hand the the ball handler back to the guy that was initially guarding him and uh, hunter did a nice little hesitation to make those guys a little confused as to who was still on him and then he finished on the left side of the rim uh yeah he's uh it, it seems like the game has slowed down for him quite uh, quite substantially one of the things i noticed too you know obviously trey young is this this terrific passer but at the start of this season He's uh, he's he's been a uh, terrific lob pass uh, guy in in the past, but uh, his his lobs have been a little bit off. Have you noticed that at all? Yeah, they, they have been, especially the uh, the game today through a couple of shocking ones. One that slammed off the backboard so hard that John Collins had to come back down with it after. But they they have been a bit off. I think I don't know if he's just overthinking it. His touch his touch is a little bit has been a little off, but. Even with that, they showed a stat today. The Hawks still completed the most alley oops of any team in the league, so it should it should be even higher than that. So that's with him not being on his full passing ability, not fully locked in. Right. And hopefully, hopefully we didn't play for eight months or so, so hopefully that's just a, a feel thing that will start coming back as we get more and more games. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's certainly not an issue with his touch because you know his his floater is is really good. He's he's a, he's a great shooter, and typically those things translate to those lob passes. And he's obviously got good timing with his with his other passing uh, skills. So, uh, but yeah, that was that was something that was uh, you know a, a little bit weird to to see him missing missing some some easy looks. But yeah, for sure. Um, one thing about those Nets games, though. Yeah. The first one. The first one, the Hawks were up almost the entire game. And I'm sure, I, I felt this way, I'm sure a lot of Hawks supporters did. I'm sure the Hawks themselves did. That they, they should have came out of that game with the win. And it was just really nice to see two days later playing the same opponent. You could tell they came out pissed. that They, they thought they could beat one of the best teams in the league, and they came out there and did it, which is something that you love to see from a team. That they're, they're not just going to back down from one of those top teams. They look confident. They look like they thought they belonged. Yeah, that first game was was back and forth, especially in the fourth, and Kyrie just went went nuts. But um, speaking, of, I know I know we're we're mostly here talking about the Hawks, but uh, one of the things I I've noticed watching Kyrie, watching him in those couple of games, and you know he had that great fourth quarter in the first game, but uh, kind of a poor first three quarters, and then the second game he was off for for most of of the night, uh, but. He's not getting to the rim as much as uh, as I expect from Kyrie. You know, back in his his Cleveland days, he was consistently getting to the bucket, and you would see him with all these crazy spin finishes off the glass. Uh, he's just so, and and part of it I think is just his confidence in his ball handling and his shooting ability, and he can get to the mid range and get those shots. But seemingly he's uh, he's a little too reliant on the jumper now, and. And when it's not falling, he he tends to uh, kind of um, get overshadowed. Yeah, obviously, I don't know at all inside Kyrie Irving's brain. I'm just some random dude in Australia. But you hear a lot of interviews with like former players who have had a series of injuries that they talk about how it does affect you. You're not you're not as willing to drive to the hoop maybe as often because you, you got that in the back of your head like oh I, I don't I don't want to get hurt again. Like, I, I, like, obviously, I can't say that's what's going on with him, but it, it is a thing that happens to players who's, who've had quite a few injuries, like a broken kneecap. That that can't be fun. So maybe that could be a contributing factor as well, but he does luckily for him. 
and have that incredible off-the-dribble jump shot so he doesn't have to do it quite as often as he used to. But it, it's definitely taking away from his game a little bit, especially when he has a long defender on it like he did Hunter, where it's a bit harder to get those jumpers off cleanly. Being able to blow by him a bit more often, I think, would have really opened up his game, would have opened up his jump shot, would have created more open looks for his teammates. So that that is a disadvantage for him. What do you think of the, obviously the NBA is doing a lot of this due to the, uh, you know, the, the COVID safety protocols making it so that a team will, it's not even a home and home, it's just two games on the road, but you're not actually traveling between game one and game two, uh, but you're also getting two consecutive games against the same opponent, so it's almost a mini little playoff series. What, what are your thoughts on, on that after that first experience? Yeah, I think for teams like Atlanta that are that are trying to get to the playoffs for the first time in a while, I think I think it's a good a good thing for them, especially to be able to say, okay, this happened this happened in that first game. We're gonna come back and make these adjustments. Like like you said, like it's a mini playoff series. So that's that's good for the coaches, good for the players. Lets them learn to be like flexible, adjust to what's going on a bit a bit more. So I I think it can only help those teams. Um, as far as Actual playoff teams playing in the same city back to back. I'm not. I'm not really sure how it would affect them honestly. But what do you think about that? Sorry, like in terms of. Like, do you think they would treat it as a mini playoff, or you think they just wouldn't care? Like, ah, oh, we, we might have lost that first one, but this is direct another another game. Whereas the Hawks came out, they they did look like they were treating it as a mini playoff experience. Yeah, no, I, I, I do think that, uh, yeah, especially the teams that, that haven't gone through that, I think we'll, we'll take that as an opportunity, as a learning experience. And, and also just, you know, you, you go through these, uh, you know, when, when you're playing 72 or 82 games, you go through these uh, quick, you travel and then you go through a quick morning walkthrough and then you play, basically. You might have a quick film session as well at some point. But, uh, yeah, getting that second walk through that second potential film session uh, and, and not having to think about anybody else in between as well uh, does, does teams a lot of good. And, and you could tell in that, that second game that, that Atlanta was, was better prepared to deal with, with, with what Brooklyn threw at them. Yeah, for sure. And that's, that's part of the reason I, I'm still, uh, still happy with Lloyd Pierce. That's that's one thing that kills teams. That's what got Doug Rivers fired, according to Paul George, is the lack of adjustment. So it's showing some ability to be flexible. And he definitely went more to the DeAndre Hunter on Kyrie Irving, which really helped and had kept feeding it through John Collins, which worked in the first game. And that, that, that was a positive side for me. Even throughout a little uh, 3-2 zone, which we've seen uh, sprinkled yes. in a few of these games. Yeah, that, that's been interesting to see. I, I think the personnel works well, let you hide, hide Trey a bit, and then let you take advantage of all the length we have in the starting lineup with Cam and DeAndre, Clint and John. So it's not it's not a bad look to go to in small small bunches, I'd say. Yeah, I, I agree. I think I think a lot of teams should just should just do it, even if it's not super successful, just to just to mix things up so teams just can't keep attacking your base defense over and over again. Um so yeah, I think they they've sprinkled it in just enough. Uh, you know, it hasn't looked. I don't think it's looked great, but uh, just yeah. as a just as a sort of a change up, something to mix things up. I think is it's it's. Uh, I I would advocate for it. It's always good to uh, get just give, get some different looks in there. So maybe when the games matter, you can try it out. If just like one possession to really throw them off instead of giving the opponent the same 
pick and roll defense look over and over again. Absolutely. Right. Uh, so the, uh, the the next game on the schedule was the Atlanta Hawks versus the Cleveland Cavaliers. The Cavs won that one 96-91. And uh, unfortunately, given that I'm in Ohio and uh, – uh, there's there's the blackout rules. I wasn't able to actually watch this one, but uh, I'll uh, I'll just mention a couple of things I noticed from the box score, and then you can throw out any uh, any thoughts you had on the game, Ryan. But um, first off, you know Trey Young through those first three or four games was averaging close to 15 free throw attempts a night, and then that Cavs game had just four uh, attempts from the line. Solomon Hill and and the whole bench was was pretty poor as far as a plus minus Hill was a team worst minus 15 in just 11 minutes um, and then you know uh, a crazy stat I saw on Twitter today from uh, Matt Moore is that Cleveland is actually uh, second in defensive rating which is uh, you know one of the more bizarre statistics <laughs> I've seen so far this season yeah that that is shocking that is Extremely shocking for sure. <laughs> but as, as far as the game goes, the blackouts, I think, helped you not having the International League pass saved you on that one. That one it was painful to watch. That, that fourth quarter was was a struggle. Um, it was one of those games where the Hawks were in control the entire time. They are up 20 at one point, I think, in the third quarter. And then fourth quarter, they went to the bench unit, and um, which right now is just Bogdanovich, Herter, Goodwin. Bruno Fernando played a bit more in that game than he has in most games, which is not really a good thing. Hopefully, Okongwu coming back can take away Bruno's minutes. And, uh, yeah, it, it was just a stroke scoring the ball in the, in the special of the fourth quarter. And just no ball movement. No one can create shots for himself. Trey Young, as you mentioned, not drawing fouls. He wasn't attacking the rim as much. His, his shot in general wasn't on. And his, he wasn't getting the same foul calls as he was at the beginning of the season. Like, those ones where he stops Role. He, those were getting called on the floor, not as shooting fouls. And they really actually struggled. I thought it was interesting because it happened a little bit in the Knicks game as well. When when JaVale McGee was in the game for the for the Cavs, he took away about three or four lobs just with his length, and Mitch Robinson was able to do it too. And that they really struggled when, when he was able to do that. Um, just taking away that Hawks lob threat really seemed to just take them out of their rhythm and then they started missing shots and yeah so JaVale McGee had a big impact which was surprising to me but yeah the fourth quarter was just a struggle to watch for both teams neither of them really scoring but the Cavs made some big shots at the end like at one point Trey Young was driven the ball at the court and got an eight second violation for not getting to half court and then the and then the Cavs came down and got an offensive three seconds, and that, that was just basically how the fourth quarter was going. Just a lot of whistles, just <laughs> a lot of ugly basketball. And yeah, don't don't feel too bad about missing that game. Yeah, so so let's let's move forward towards the uh, the the most recent game, which uh, we're recording this on Monday night after the 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 Hawks Knicks game, and uh, the Knicks ended up pulling it out one thirteen one oh eight. And I'm so glad you brought up the whole. Uh, JaVale McGee, Mitch Robinson dilemma, and I'm sure to a certain extent Andre Drummond falls into this category as well, but uh, I thought on both ends of the floor that guy in Robinson, that really long, good athlete, was an issue because on you know when the Hawks were on offense, 
Uh, he really made it difficult for Trey Young in those two-on-two situations to to find Capella on the lob. He deflected a couple of those. And then, you know, when the Knicks were on offense, the Hawks on D, he uh, he made it difficult for, for Capella to help because Capella seemed a little bit hesitant to come off of his body too much because he was worried about the lob on that end. Yeah, he, he definitely did. It's, it's interesting. Capella, he looked actually in that game, in the Cavs game that you missed, he, looked, he was fantastic on Drummond, I thought. But as soon as JaVale McGee came to the game, he had this exact same problem that you're talking about now. He doesn't seem... He does not seem to know what to do when there's a very heavy lob threat. He, he seems to be struggling with it, except with his rotations that should help with the pick and roll because he doesn't want he doesn't want to give that up. And the team's the team's struggling for it, I think. Yeah, um, another another big issue I noticed in the in in the game against New York was uh, Atlanta didn't seem to have the scattering report on Julius Randle. This might have it might have benefited them if they got to play the Knicks back to back. But uh, Randle being a lefty, you know, you saw it multiple times. Uh, Collins let him get to his left hand jump hook on the block. He uh, he fell for the right to left spin. You know, obviously when a when a, a dominant one handed or a one hand dominant player drives to their opposite hand, they're typically doing that just to get back eventually to their to their strong hand. And even Bogdanovich, uh, I know that's a mismatch, but he just let Randall drive left towards the baseline and finish at the rim. But uh, that was that was a bit frustrating. And again, a situation where yeah, in a regular season environment, when you you don't have multiple days to to prepare for an opponent you you see those situations where it's just uh know your personnel mistakes yeah it was extremely frustrating to watch it was definitely not one of uh, colin's best defensive performances uh, randall was just bullying him getting forcing his way to his left hand as he said whenever he wanted I, i'm not sure if he ended up with that triple double but even when he didn't get the left hand, the whole, the whole team was worried about Julius Randle. He was just passing it, dropping off the back door passes, easy layups on the final, or kicking it out for an easy three. He, he, he was destroying us. The Hawks definitely weren't expecting, I don't know why, because he's been doing it so far this season, but yeah, they did not look ready for Randle. And it was, it, was, it was tough to watch. You shouldn't, you shouldn't let Julius Randle beat you. You can, let him, you can let him put up his stats, but you shouldn't let him beat you. Yeah, and, and it, it felt like a game that was just the Knicks' night. R.J. Barrett had a, an impressive game. Even he he shot the ball well. Uh, he I think he had twenty. He had a double double, twenty six and ten or eleven, I think. And, um, and uh, quickly, quickly hit some big shots. Unfortunately, the rookie came out shooting. Yeah, we'll get to the the uh, couple of plays down the stretch. I want to talk about the officiating in the last couple of minutes, but. Uh, um, before we do that, I, I did notice a, a nice little uh, um, offensive set, something that the that Pierce drew up to, to try to get Young going in the in the third quarter, and it actually got the Hawks out to a pretty decent lead. But they started having uh, Capella sort of holding the ball on the right wing, facing up at the basket, and they would have Trey Young sort of set a, a back pick. For uh, for Cam Reddish or Hunter, one of those guys, they got a uh, an easy layup for Reddish off of that play where the his, Young's man didn't want to help off. But then also, you know, if Young's man does help, then they just quickly have Young come to Capella and they run a dribble handoff, and his man is a step behind. and And obviously, if you're a step behind with that uh, with Young running a pick and roll, you're you're probably dead meat. 
Um, but that that was yeah, nice little nice little adjustment uh, that I saw there. Yeah, it's better off the Steph Curry playbook, I'd say. You, what do you do when one of the best shooters in the league setting the screen? You can't you can't really help off of him. He's just gonna step out and get an easy shot. So it, someone that good setting a pick, even though he is small and it's not really necessarily gonna be a very good screen, it, it makes a big impact. And that, yeah, that was a really nice wrinkle to see thrown in there. We and and with the Hawks adding the talent of, of Gallinari and Rondo and Bogdanovich, yeah, hopefully we'll see more and more of Young off the ball because, yeah, as you said, uh, a really good shooter acting as a screener can be very effective for your offense and uh, just uh, you know getting the defense moving side to side and having uh, a lot of off ball action I think is always beneficial, especially if you if the Hawks were to to make it into the playoffs, you need to have stuff like that implemented in. But um, the uh, the officiating was was pretty questionable. I thought it was heavily, especially the last few minutes, heavily in favor of New York. Um, the uh, there was one where it was a uh, a live ball. The ball was up in the air, and John Collins jumped up and and grabbed it and and quickly was there. But Collins was the guy that got his hands on the ball, and his momentum jumping like landed him into quickly a little bit. But they call a loose ball foul on Collins on that, and unfortunately as well, the Knicks were in the bonus, so that was two free throws on the other end. But uh, Pierce even challenged that. I'm like, that's a perfect challenge because there's no way that's going to be – that's obviously going to be overturned, but the NBA decided not to. But, you know, typically when you when you see something like that where it's a, it's a live ball and, uh, you know, it's up for grabs, neither player, te- you know, has the um, – the right of way i think whoever gets their hands on the basketball is the one that deserves the whistle yeah that, that was a frustrating call to watch if, if that happened like if that was near the paint that would never have been called because if you're going after the ball when you, when you come down it's not a foul to land on someone just because they're there if you're, if you're like you said if you're there first but i think because it was out in the corner in a three-point line right in front of the ref we're not used to really seeing it out there someone jumping for a rebound that far away from the basket and yeah it's, it's just something unfortunate call there was the when red when reddish got attacked which is very rare i don't know if you see too many hawks games he doesn't really say anything that that man just got his arm completely pulled down just completely slapped away in a layup no no call that that was a bit a bit hard to watch but still the hawks the hawks shot themselves in the foot a few times colin did you didn't see the end of the Cavs game but we we, we blew it at the end, but then we still had a chance to come back late, and then John Collins got a wide-open dunk with about 10 seconds left to make it a one- or two-point game, and he missed it. And they did the exact same thing in this game. So we're just making – we made a few stupid, stupid mistakes at the end of these games. Yeah, um, that, uh, that call that uh, led to the reddish technical, I believe that was Kevin Knox that slapped down on his arm, and, yeah, I saw that as well. Um, the – the tough part too about that, you know, not only I mentioned the it's a it's a foul on on Collins, whereas if they call that foul on quickly, it's two free throws for Collins. Instead, the foul's on Collins, it's two free throws for New York going the other way. Yeah. Then you challenge it and lose a timeout, which they ended up yeah. needing later in the game. Yeah, we didn't have a timeout for like the last two two and a half three minutes because of that. Yeah, yeah and definitely definitely didn't happen. We were trying to catch up on the clock in the last minute. There was another another play down the stretch uh, in the final minute, I believe, where Collins 
got the ball off a loose ball situation, and he uh, he backed down. He put his shoulder into Mitchell Robinson and then went up for the layup, and Robinson clearly had his arms angled out and uh, hit Collins, no foul, and then the Hawks, you know, committed a frustration foul, and again, free throws the other way, but it's it's just those situations where you're you're missing a call, and then the other team fouls in frustration. It's like these these are four-point swings here, and in a game with the Hawks lose by five, a couple of those can make all the difference. Yeah. They're about John Collins. I think he was the one that got the frustration foul. I don't don't particularly blame him. It, it was definitely a, a foul with Robinson in a crucial situation. Not, I, I would definitely be frustrated myself. But yeah, he's, like you said, he still he still messed up himself. Missed the open deck two games in a row at the end. Cam Reddish missed a dunk at the end after making a nice steal. No, he got the steal after he missed the dunk. I'm sorry. But we yeah we we just made. They hit some big shots at the end, and we, we had we had somehow had a few chances. We forced a few late steals, and uh, we just we just couldn't finish. Bogdanovich, he was he was missing. I think he went one for three. He only took three shots in a, in a team missing most of their second unit. And he's he's the the guy in the second unit. That was that was disappointing to see. The whole game, I was just kind of thinking to myself, where is he? What, what's he doing? He didn't. He wasn't attacking the rim. He wasn't even shooting the ball. I think. Just having him be more active could have made a big difference for that for the team. Well, and it's also surprising, you know, it's it's one thing to not start, but you would expect him to close at times. And yeah, he didn't even uh, he wasn't even on the floor down the stretch. But uh, yeah, that steal you mentioned, Reddish picked up, but I believe it was uh, it was Hunter that. Collins. Uh, I, think, I think Collins poked it. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, somebody. It was either. Either Hunter or Collins that poked it away and Reddish picked it up. But, yeah, Reddish had a had a missed left-hand dunk that you mentioned. He had an air ball three. He had another one that, that could have cut the game to one that rattled in and out. But, yeah, he, he struggled uh, He struggled at times. I did like to see, though, uh, I think out that last time out after the challenge, they went, they went to DeAndre Hunter and he came up with a big shot attack and driving to his right. It was, uh, it was nice to see that they're trusting him that much already. Yeah, I believe he finished nine of fifteen. But yeah, he he had the whole he had the whole package working. Uh, the um, we we already talked earlier. He's he's gotten he's gotten better as a finisher. The three point ball, he's shooting over forty five percent, I think, from three this season. So he's been he's been very confident and and not just you know he's not just a corner shooter either. He's shooting from above the break pretty consistently. Um, yeah, the the only issue I think with Hunter that uh, I think uh, could could take him up another level offensively as the ball handling. He he's still not he doesn't look quite as comfortable, especially if it's more than a couple of dribbles. Uh, he had uh, I forget what game it was, but he had one play where he uh, he dribbled left and then tried to go behind the back, and the ball bounced off his heel. But you'll see occasional moments where that that handle just needs to be a little tighter. And that's something that's that's what's taking Jalen Brown's game to the next level, in my opinion. Yeah. Just, he used to be have that exact same problem where he, he could kind of dribble, but when he got in traffic, he, he wasn't going to make a move with the ball. Now, now that he can, it's a lot open driving lanes and taking his game to the next level. So if he if Hunter can do that, I'm not as confident in him being able to do that as, as Brown. I was more confident in Brown doing it. He's been more an athlete as well. But if he can just, yeah, if he can improve that handle, that, that could be a huge difference in his game. 
Well, yeah, with the Hawks at four and three, and you know, we we still haven't seen a couple of, of key acquisitions. I mentioned at the outset, Chris Dunn, a guy that uh, can provide some some uh, perimeter defense, some some head of the snake or uh, point of attack defense, and also the rookie and Yeka Kongu. You mentioned that uh, you know he probably will when he's healthy will get some some backup big minutes. But uh, you know, do you imagine these guys are going to be consistent guys in the rotation kind of spot minute guys uh what sort of impact are you expecting from them when they uh when they get healthy uh they're definitely gonna help it's hard for Hawks fans not to watch all of these games and think we had a pretty good shot still being undefeated we just made some stupid mistakes and needed a bit more help so that that they can definitely help with that a convo i think he has to be once he's healthy uh, a fixture in the rotation high draft pick i been able to see him too much because they don't they don't show college games over here in Australia unfortunately but from what I've heard about him he's a guy that's not going to hurt you great defender he just doesn't make mistakes so I can't imagine him he won't get at least 15 minutes a game for the Hawks which could make an impact because yeah we don't that's that's the big hole in the rotation right now is Bruno Fernando so if Congo is able to just be decent that that can be a big help as far as Chris Dunn I think he's going to be more of a matchup Dependent player with how with how deep the team is. Same with Tony Snell when he if he comes, it'll be very matchup dependent. But he they can take some of the Solomon Hill minutes. He's been fairly solid for what he is in the tenth or eleventh man. But yeah, Dunn, I see he's just very matchup dependent as well as a lot of the backup wings. A should be a fixture and obviously Gallinari when finally returns will be getting a lot of minutes as well. Yeah, I'm I'm largely in agreement there. I, I would say though, if if Rondo is out, and uh, I I would expect Dunn to get minutes over Goodwin. Um, you know, but Goodwin hopefully shouldn't play much either. Right. He's, he's not bad for a third string point guard. Like he's solid enough for a third string point guard, but he's not a guy you want playing every game. That's that's for sure. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I was you know I I didn't spend an enormous amount of time uh, studying up on the draft but you know I watched probably 15 to 20 prospects for for an hour or so and I was I was pretty impressed with a Kongu I thought that was a good good get for them and and I think he was one of the more seemingly one of the more NBA ready guys coming out of the draft he's got a decent skill level good athlete um, and yeah if he's going up against backup centers I, I think he should be able to to uh, be a contributor right away but uh, yeah, what uh, what sort of expectations do you have for for the rest of the season? When I did my uh, preseason predictions episode, I had the Hawks as the eighth seed in the East. Uh, but uh, yeah, what are your feelings from after seeing seven games? Do you do you feel like the playoffs are a lock? Do you you know how how confident are you in this group? Um, won't call anything a lock. About <laughs> the, the right area, but I'm. They, they should make the playoffs. They should be a playoff team. They have the talent. They definitely definitely have more talent than the Magic, more talent than the Wizards. I mean, the Wizards have the strong top two, but nothing else there. They, they should be the clear eight seed, but you never know with a team that hasn't done it before. They could get an injury. They could just fall apart. But they're also, if everything clicks, they have, they have the potential to even jump up a few spots if one of the teams above them has offseason like the Raptors are so far. They're they are looking shockingly not great, especially especially Siakam. So they, they should they should be in the mix, and they're going to be one of those teams that they do make it. 
I'm not saying they would ever be favored in a first-round matchup in the East, but I don't think – it'd be like those old Wizards teams with John Wall and Bradley Beal. They're not a team that any team is going to be excited about playing in the playoffs if they're, if they're at their full potential. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I would be utterly terrified because, yeah, they're they're going to be – I'm pretty confident they'll be a top-10 offense this season, and it, it's looking more like they're probably going to be a top-5 offense uh so you know regardless of how poor the defense is that you know facing a team like that is gonna you know is, is gonna be a challenge and and depending on who they get you know even the top of the east it might not be some some juggernaut team that we've seen in in years past so uh, i'm right there with you i think uh, the playoffs should should probably be uh the goal and yeah I, i'm a, even a little bit higher on them now than i was to start the season i think even getting a you know, something like the the sixth seed is, is a possibility now. Um, but uh, I know this question is going to be a little bit difficult for you because, again, we haven't seen a Kong Wu yet. But uh, what sort of pieces do you think this roster still needs to add to eventually, maybe in two or three years' time, be a championship-caliber team? Or do you feel like this team just with internal development can get there on its own? Yeah, you know, before the season, I would have said, yeah, a guy that uh, could essentially play the Chris Dunn role defensively, but could also shoot and not be a huge liability on the offensive end. But um, you you brought it up when we were talking about the the game against or the couple of games against the Nets, where guys like Hunter and Reddish even um, slid down and defended Irving and defended some of the quicker guards and and looked pretty capable. So. You know, despite the fact that those guys were more drafted as like a three and four positions or the three and four positions, you know, maybe those guys can can be that guy that defends the elite perimeter guy on on the opposition. Yeah, and I, I know the Hawks are, are very hopeful on Cam Reddish. Everything you hear from them since he's been drafted is they talk about how oh he was a point guard in high school. They think he's they think I think they think he's going to be a two. 
So they're, they're very hopeful he can be that guy. Obviously, that would be a big jump for him from where he is. But he's definitely shown the flashes. Like I mentioned, you can see some PG in him, and then you can see a bust in him. But if he hits that upside, then that would be the perfect player to play. Imagine Trey. I mean, imagine signing Paul George in that lineup. That would be the perfect player to have next to Trey, a guy that can guard any position who can get his own bucket and set up for his teammates. If he gets anywhere near that, that would be ideal for the Hawks. Of course, that's nowhere near a guarantee. But I think I think that is their thinking with that. And as you said, they have Hunter. Surprised he can guard guards. But, yeah, he's, he's got the flexibility to cover pretty much any position, it seems like, besides center, which I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have thought before this season either. Yeah, the, um, the, 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 the position for me that uh, they need to figure out what their future is is going to be you know at the, the four and the five spots. Now, um, the five seems relatively secure with Capella as the present and potentially a Kongwu as the heir apparent. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, John Collins, I think, with the fact that he declined that extension, I think I heard it was... They offered him about $90 million on an extension, didn't want that. Yeah. Uh, um, it'll be interesting to see what sort of contract he's able to, to get this next offseason and if Atlanta's willing to, to go there. Uh, but if, if he leaves or if, if they make a move and, and trade him, it, it'll be interesting to see. But, yeah, that's that to me is the big one, is probably that four spot and, and, and where they go from there and, and whether they believe that a – uh, a Collins and Capella or a Collins, a Kongwu 4-5 combo is is good enough to compete for championships. Yeah, I find it interesting that you, you mentioned the 5 spot. It's just because it's, it's definitely a position in the league now that's not valued nearly as strongly as it used to be. And uh, looking at the last few few champions, and they, they haven't really... Capella would have been the best center on any of those teams for the most part. Warriors relied heavily on JaVale McGee in the later end of that run, and last year, Lakers, JaVale McGee, Dwight Howard, old Dwight Howard, and then old Marcus all the year before. So, I'm, I'm not too worried about the center position personally, but I, do, I would agree. It's going to be very interesting to see what they do at the, at the four, if that can be a long-term fit, especially defensively. I, I would be surprised to not see them match any offers. It wouldn't really make sense to let them slide for nothing. They might end up trading him, but I, I expect for them to at least match anything that's thrown at him. Yeah, the your center comment is interesting. I mean, I, I would counter with saying that the Lakers' best center was Anthony Davis and the Warriors' best yeah. center was Draymond Green. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's fair. That's very fair. We don't have that guy to slide over and be the, the defensive star. Well, maybe maybe that maybe that's a Kongwu. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. That would be great. I'm sure that's what they were thinking when they drafted him. Absolutely. Well, uh, Ryan, was there was there anything else you wanted to to uh, to talk about with the Hawks before we wrap up here? Uh, I think I think we uh, did more Hawks than anyone has in the last year. So I, I think that <laughs> I think that will cover it. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it was uh, it was an absolute pleasure to have you back on. And yeah, the Hawks have been. Have been a joy to watch. I plan on watching them uh, a bunch. Uh, so, yeah, hopefully we'll have you on again here soon. Yeah, thanks for having me. That'd be great. Thanks so much for listening to Duncan Dynasty. Please, if you can, if you have a moment, go to iTunes and uh, give us a rating and review, preferably five stars. And uh, if you could give any thoughts about what you like about the show, that would be much appreciated. 
We are also on Spotify, so uh, you can give us a rating on there as well. If you'd like to find some other content outside of this podcast, you can find me on Twitter, at Garrett Bougay. That's G-A-R-R-E-T-T-B-U-G-A-Y. I will be uh, tweeting various uh, NBA thoughts as well as some, some thoughts on some other uh, interests of mine, including soccer and film and television. So uh, if you're looking for some of my takes throughout the, the course of the week, you can find me there. You can find my co-host Corbin Ford on Twitter at CorbinNBA. That's C-O-R-B-A-N-N-B-A. So uh, he, uh, he does, a, d- does a good job on Twitter as well. He's very active. I'm also doing uh, some work as a contributor for Rip City Project, which uh, does all things Blazers. So if you're looking for some written content, you can check those websites out. Corbin also does his own pod on the side called NBA Today. Uh, he, uh, he does some, some fun work over there, so, so please, I encourage you to check that out. But uh, thanks so much again for, for listening, and have a great rest of your day. Leftovers. Or... The DMV. Number 97. Or. House cleaning. Or. Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details.